I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Stock Club is brought to you by Hyundai. Restart your journey towards a greener world with Hyundai's next generation of zero emission cars. Find out more about their range of electric vehicles and the savings they can bring to your company and employees at hyundai.ie. Hi there, welcome to the Stock Club Podcast. I'm James, and with me this week is my Wall Street co-founder and chief investor Emmett Savage, and our head analyst Rory Caron. In this, our last episode of 2020, we look back at some of the biggest stories of the year, excluding the coronavirus, talk about the companies and products we've used most in the past 12 months, and both Emmett and Rory make their big stock market predictions for 2021. So guys, here we are, the last podcast of 2020. Um, Rory, before we came in here, I saw you shared a tweet in our shared podcast Slack channel that said, why do men start podcasts instead of going to therapy? Um, is this is this podcast not enough of a therapy session for you? I think that was the idea, wasn't it? Like we probably all should be in therapy rather than just sitting here talking about uh, stocks uh, every once every two weeks. Go in, go in and shoot your, your therapist a few ticker symbols, see what they think of them. Yeah, that's not <laughs> a bad idea, actually. Probably improved returns. <laughs> So here we are, as I said, the last podcast of 2020. It's been a pretty wild year, both on the market and just in terms of pretty much everything. Um, so we're going to take this opportunity to reflect back over the year that was and focus in on some of the biggest things we saw and the things we thought are most important. Before we start that, though, I was going over our Spotify wrapped report before the podcast, and I'm going to quiz you guys in a few bits of it. So I'll throw you a low ball first. What country do you think we're most popular in in 2020? Cayman Islands. Um, Macedonia Maybe uh, some serious answers <laughs> We are number one in Cayman Islands and oh, is in, like, No where are we in... most popular like, we, got, we got more li- most listeners uh, The US America? Yeah US yeah Second is Ireland and third is the UK um, How many countries were we played in In 2020 mm. A hundred I'll go with 65 Amateur to win it there, 73. 73 countries, not bad, not bad. Uh, and here's a good one. How many minutes did we record up until, I think this is re- this is the first 11 months, so it was kind of the start of December, this report came out. So I'd say if we take the first 11 months, how many minutes have we put out there into the world? Um, so we did, so okay, so we do like 26 shows a year uh, and about less than an hour per show, so... F- 22 hours? I, I did say minutes. Oh, God. Hold on, let me get Excel. Rory's on his calculator. <laughs> <laughs> Emmett, what do you think? Um, so I'm going to say around 40 minutes per episode times 11 months times two per month, about 880 minutes. So that in hours is probably something like 14 hours, thereabouts. Maybe. I don't want it in hours. Minutes is fine. Okay, <laughs> Rory. okay fussy. <laughs> Come on, what is it then? 870 minutes. Oh. Damn it, 10 minutes off. 
Nice. What's the prize? Good. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Another year. Do you have uh, information? <laughs> and does the, does that report tell us like any countries where we have like one listener? Like, what's the oddest country? No, the, the Raft report doesn't. But I, I think I actually can find that somewhere else. So we must look into it. We I know we've we've a few listeners in Latvia. We discovered last time we were the number one in Cayman Islands and Bermuda for a while. So. Maybe maybe tune in in the new year and we'll we'll go to our, our list of number ones or one listener. I would love to find if we had just like one listener in some like really remote country that we couldn't even think of right now. Yeah, I bet you we do. That would be interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll find could, out. Like invite them to come on the show. Find okay. out how they found us. Let's let's pull this back to a bit uh, something a bit more relevant to the stock market. Um, so as usual with this end of year podcast, I'm going to ask you guys first of all to kick off with the company or the news story that you feel had the biggest impact on you in 2020. I'm going to preface this, obviously, that you can't just pick coronavirus, Rory. <laughs> Emmett, I'll come to you first. What was the, the kind of biggest news story or company story um, you saw in 2020? It's kind of unfair that we can't pick coronavirus in fairness, like in 50 years. Well, coronavirus I've... can be involved, but it can't uh-huh. just be coronavirus. Did coronavirus cause the bushfires in New South Wales in January? Uh, up and down no. in Australia. <laughs> I actually well, there was forgot so many. that happened this year. Yeah, I know. It's hard <laughs> to believe. What a year. I mean, so the news stories that spring to my mind are, of course, the giant fires across Australia. You know, it started a year, which in the scheme of things doesn't even hold a candle to the big story of the year. I mean, we Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. and Yeah. The UK formally withdrew from the EU. Um, one one of the stories, I'm, not, I'm going to go for second place. And actually, of course, George Floyd, that was a global news story that just took yeah. and captured everyone's attention, rightfully so. But um, one of the news stories that I, I think I'll remember for a long time is oil prices hitting record lows. And, you know, for the first time, <laughs> for the first time, I know I had to have a good time. For the first time in history, US oil market dipped to negative prices so that's kind of um one story where like most people rationally were thinking right where can i take all this free oil and stash it until yeah there were reports of people like googling could they store oil in their garage and stuff rory you mentioned yeah yeah my partner rebecca thought that she could store um industrial tons of oil in her back garage Thankfully, it's illegal <laughs> for the safety for the safety of all her neighbors. So, uh, so let's get back to that. I mean, why why is it so? Why did that stand out to you so much as 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 a big part of this year? Well, when you think about it, we grew up, whether we noticed or not, where one of the key barometers of international trade and and economics was the price of a barrel of oil, and all of a sudden. It wasn't only free, they'd pay you to take it. So that was kind of an abnormal yeah. event. There were there were other things. I mean, the, for example, the Summer Olympics were cancelled. Now, I know that's a spin-off yeah. from um, coronavirus, which obviously I'm not allowed to pick. But um, for me, the big story of the year, James, was that at least at least 40 big retailers and restaurant companies have filed for bankruptcy or yeah. have gone into liquidation in the year. And I have a short list here of some of those names and approximately when it happened, which if you allow me to indulge, I'll fire through very quickly. Go ahead. So it's like you, I wonder if no one could have possibly predicted that. <laughs> oh, if but only wait. somebody on a podcast at this time last year had predicted this. 
Well, I don't want to set myself up for what I hope will be the next question, but let's just run through some of them. Like JCPenney filed for bankruptcy in the middle of May, you know, and it was saying that the the, the pandemic-related disruptions pushed it over the edge and, um, you know, it was kind of pulled from the brink. CEC Entertainment, the parent company of Chuck E. Cheese, uh, a brand we, I suppose, thankfully have never seen over here, uh, filed for (laughs) Chapter 11 uh, bankruptcy protection. Century uh, Century 21 uh, filed for bankruptcy just there in September. Ruby Tuesday, the restaurant group, filed for Chapter 11 in October. Friendlies, where I possibly had my first American pancake, uh, filed for bankruptcy uh, on November 1st. And actually... uh, I went to America. I, I, I kind of stayed in Maine for quite a period of time in 1988. And I remember the first time I had a pancake, possibly ever, or at least an American pancake was Friendly's. And I'm really surprised it's taken from then till now for the place to go bust because it wasn't the best <laughs> pancake experience. Guitar Center, which is somewhere I'd always yeah. try and go. That's that's you know, gone down the river. Um, organic Grocer Earth Fire filed for Chapter 11 uh, back in February. J Crew. I mean, and even True Religion which is a stock I owned many moons ago uh, makers of designer jeans also filed for chapter 11 and virtually all of these cited coronavirus uh, as the cause so while I'm not going to pick coronavirus as the new story of 2020 that most shocked me was the the destruction in its wake the the, the kind of retail destruction yeah and you, you mentioned that the, the Australian wildfires were at the start of this year and in many ways it was like a wildfire on the bricks and mortar side of things too there's been a complete kind of erasing of all these old legacy companies thanks to this global pandemic and you know it's going to be really interesting to see in the next few months um what's going to emerge from that yeah yeah because the ones that survive have fewer competitors in the bricks and mortar space you know so survival is so important when as you say, one of these wildfires takes place and, and your competitors are dying. If you survive, you know that when things turn, you know, the market, you will have a tailwind as opposed to this horrible headwind. Yeah, very interesting perspective to take on it. Uh, Rory, we'll come over to you then. What was the biggest kind of news story or, or company story that had an impact on you this year? Yeah, there was a few, I think, you know, related to coronavirus certainly was the rise of Zoom. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's just been one of the most phenomenal business stories in, in of all time, really. When you think about, you know, we used Zoom like previous to, to the outbreak of Corona and maybe a lot of people in kind of the tech industry did as a, as a way to communicate when you were remote working. But to think of a business that went from, I would think most people had kind of never heard of it to yeah. literally every single person in the world having had some interaction. It, it with became Zoom. a verb. It, like, and, and what's so incredible about it is like, it wasn't anything new. Teleco- teleconferencing has been around for a decade now, you know, with Skype and there's so many different ways of talking to people online with video, even there was that app house party became quite popular for a brief spell at the start of the pandemic but zoom just overtook everyone and, and to see its revenue growth going up 400 percent year over year and, and now having nearly half a million paying customers like like my mother who you know has about one app on her phone knows how to use zoom now yeah. which is just like the, it's just an amazing moment of like a business being just so perfectly in the right place at the right time 
And yeah, we added it in January, which was, I know the pandemic, had kind of, the noises of the pandemic had started kind of um, echoing over this side of the world, but like we could never have predicted what was going to happen in the interim and what was going to be the, how they were going to benefit so much from this. And so that, that to me is just one of the most incredible business stories. And it's going to be a very interesting few years ahead for that company to see what happens, how they build on it, um, where they're going to be when, you know, when, if we all start going back to normal, I suppose if, if we all start going back to normal is probably the more, um, yeah, the more pressing issue. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're, you're talking about working at home stocks there and I'm, I'm just waiting for you to mention the P word. I'm going to leave it for later. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny about Zoom. I was watching a rerun of Silicon Valley, the, the comedy show. And in, in one of the episodes, Gavin Belson, who's the kind of big corporate giant, the guy who owns the Google-esque company that's out to destroy the protagonist's small startup, he's lampooning Zoom, or at least he's talking to his, his uh, kind of his friendly user trial of, of um, Hooli's new product. And he goes, how bad was it? And they're kind of working through a couple of examples. And he goes, please don't tell me it was Zoom bad. And, wow. I, and you know, <laughs> I, 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 I was like, wow, if only they had known that Zoom would someday yeah. own the world, you know? Absolutely. Sorry, another kind of theme that I kind of noticed running throughout the year was I remember I listened to a podcast that was hosted by Morgan Housel, but he was talking to Bethany McLean, the, um, the journalist who... Um, wrote extensively about Enron back in the day and she'd written a, an article about Elon Musk and, and the dealings with Solar City back in the early days. And she used a phrase which stuck in my head, which was that the the line between fraudster and genius is a thinner than we'd like to admit. Yeah. And I think a lot a lot of that kind of came through this year. I remember, you know, reading Black, Bad Blood, was it last year, maybe the year before, you definitely got this sense of it is sometimes all about how much can you sell a vision, you know, how, how, how much can you get away with while, asking, while getting money out of people in order to kind of fund a kind of crazy vision that you have in your head. And you look at things like, and I think, you know, with Silicon Valley and Wall Street, this kind of culture clash between those two, between kind of where all the money is these days, you do see that creeping in more and more. You look at like what happened with Nicola, yeah. um, like what happened with like Looking Coffee, you know, there, there definitely is this element of the the silicon valley push the vision as far as you can to raise as much money as you can and hopefully you'll get there in the end you know the kind of um was it oracle or or, or uh, yeah i think it was oracle was was often accused of big over promise under the liver when it came to their software products it was just get it out the door and we'll we'll iterate on it and fix it as we go so that was a kind of theme i saw kind of creeping into the conversation more and more this year yeah absolutely another thing i i noticed which was a big kind of a big topic more so maybe towards the end of the year was IPOs and SPACs. Mm. I mean, I know you've done a lot of research in SPACs, just how influential have SPACs become in the market? Massively. They're massively. I mean, I, I've rarely seen anything like it. it. The parallels with SPACs today for me feels like the run up to the dot-com bubble um, insofar as that in late 99 and, and early 2000, virtually every business listing was some way connected to the internet and when you look at even nasdaq's website right now and the list of companies slated for listing in in the weeks ahead uh it's hard to find an example that is not a spac so i i, yeah. I don't have the numbers to hand james but f roughly speaking of the like kind of 450 uh listings this year 
I I would I think I saw about three hundred and fifty of them are SPACs. So, wow. Yeah. So like yeah. they 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 are absolutely massive. They are the defining team of the stock market this year, um, which leads me to believe because they can bypass so many of the regulations that apply to an IPO that some form of regulation will be applied to a SPAC. Um, and the big two big challenges with a SPAC uh, are a special purpose acquisition company for for those who don't know what we're talking about for, is that they can uh, avoid kind of the quiet period and they can also set the terms on a deal that's entirely down to the promoter's uh, liking. So, uh, yeah. and then there's a thing uh, that the, the promoter also gets a huge, huge payout after the deal is yeah. done, which can be as much yeah. as 20% of outstanding shares. Definitely a lot to be careful about, but some good opportunities in there too, I imagine. Unquestionably. I mean, so again, bring it back to the parallel of the year 1999. I mean, Amazon listed, I think it was in 1998. So it, yeah. it was... You know, it was also um, part of the run-up to the dot-com bubble and it survived and came through the other side and now is the dominant giant of retail today. And I have very little doubt that in the SPAC landscape of 2020, there are some businesses that will emerge floated and on the stock exchange as a result of a SPAC that will be defining brands of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And then One on of top- the best tweets I saw of the year was um, some UK newspaper had... Uh, the headline Queen Elizabeth to go public after vaccine jab <laughs> and someone retweeted it with Shamath must be stopped <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> let's move on then to IPOs Rory and, and we've seen a lot of kind of IPOs coming in at the end of this year what, why are why are companies kind of rushing to go public um, you know in, in November and December well, we don't know why. I suppose every company has its own reason. Um, but as we talked about previously, you know, I think March was definitely one of those moments where founders who built up these, you know, giant businesses largely funded by private money did get quite a scare. You know, like yeah. if you think about the businesses that were impacted, you know, think of like Airbnb. You know, they had a very painful couple of months. Yeah. But uh, but all like any every company was impacted. That's the what's so amazing about this this year was that it was a shared event, a like globally shared event where every single business was impacted. Some of them for the positive and some of them for the negative. Um. So, yeah, you know, now that we are seeing kind of a light at the end of the tunnel or potential light at the end of the tunnel, I'm sure there's a lot of business owners or founders who are saying, you know what, let's not risk going through that again. You know, we've, 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 we've survived. We've, um, a lot of them have kind of uh, restructured or taken some very painful decisions. And now at the time, there seems to be kind of a lot of um, optimism in the markets, particularly around companies that have a kind of 10 year vision, you know, talking about the 10 year leap that we talked, we saw in e-commerce and an awful lot of kind of online digital businesses. So it's a good time. I mean, look at the recent uh, IPOs that have happened just in the last few yeah, weeks. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, like speaking of DoorDash and Airbnb, there seems to be a huge appetite for these companies going public too. Yeah, and some, you know, managers are often criticised when you know, see a stock pop, you know, multiple, multiple folds uh, on IPO day that they've left money on the table, you know, or that they didn't price the, the stock accor- uh, accordingly. But it's just, you just don't know what's going to happen. I think yeah. like this year we had 19 companies go public that more than doubled on the day of their IPO, which I think that the previous highest was three. 
in a year. Yeah, and that's crazy. So he had this, there's a crazy appetite for new businesses, for digitally native businesses that are they're forward looking and have this kind of 10 year horizon of what they're going to, how much impact they're going to have over the next decade. So that's definitely been a, a big story near the end of the year. Absolutely. So let's move on then from some of the stories of the year to some of the products you've used most this year. So this is a question I've asked, I think, on the last two end of your specials. What company's products have you used most in the past year? Um, Emmett, I'll come to you first. Well, uh, just as Roy's focused on uh, Zoom, I mean, Zoom is the product that's that yeah. occupied my working day for the whole of 2020. Um, but going further out, I suppose Amazon. I, I used Amazon on occasion uh in prior years but now i'm using it every day and when the doorbell rings i'm trying to remember what it is i bought um <laughs> then all the, i mean god i'm such a read you know such an obvious customer because netflix sky disney plus apple tv prime um they're just yeah. all the kind of sitting at home watching tv <laughs> packages um tesla was delivered to our house during the year um my wife bought a tesla and uh, that is also another product. So it's like um, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Tesla, Google, yeah, all the giants, yeah. you know, and then I suppose more locally, uh, the grocery store down in my local village. So it's real, like it's a stay at home story. Do you know? Yeah, absolutely. Rory, what about you? What are the products you've used most? So first of all, I was going to say that actually, I think I've used less of Amazon than I have in previous years because of, and, and that would lead me to believe, even though I don't know, that I've used more of Shopify, if I've been more of a Shopify customer, because I definitely found myself going, gravitating more towards kind of direct to consumer businesses and yeah. going straight to their websites rather than searching for things on Amazon. And I suppose it's um, not always as obvious that you are a customer of Shopify. No, sure. You'd never know if you were if you were using the, the back end product. I suppose you're not really the customer, are you? The business yeah, is the customer. True. But I, 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 I'm I'm confident that I've definitely gone through the Shopify experience multiple times over the over the last year. Then on the flip side of that, I have read an awful lot more than I usually do. I think I'm probably at the kind of twenty five to thirty books this year level. And all except one of them has been bought through Amazon. So uh, <laughs> the Kindle Kindle is one of those kind of small parts of Amazon that people forget about. And it is probably one of, you know, in keeping with Jeff Bezos's business genius, one of the greatest businesses ever, ever created. I have no idea how much money I've pumped into the Kindle store uh, over the years. But this year was definitely up there as number one, as one of the top ones. Yeah, Jeff um, Bezos then, is going to get you one way or another. Yeah, he gets you one way or another, doesn't he? Uh, finally, I think I paid my use of PayPal went through the roof. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, aligned to kind of shopping online an awful lot more. And there was a kind of small change that they made, or I know they made it a long time ago, but uh, I kind of first started kind of taking use of it was I used to never shop for clothes online because I always found returns were such a such a pain. But uh, PayPal started doing this thing where they would pay for your returns up yeah. to kind of 12 times in the year. And that really made me kind of start shopping more online for clothes and always buying through PayPal. So that was a very kind of clever service integration that they made that totally kind of moved me from a semi-regular customer to I use PayPal very, very often, <laughs> pretty much like three or four times a week. Absolutely. Yeah, PayPal is one of those really, really useful ones. You didn't mention another P word yet. Well, I haven't got one. So I haven't <laughs> used this. 
<laughs> no, that's Peloton. That uh, you know, my favorite stock, but unfortunately not my favorite company to use because they actually don't deliver to Ireland yet. Do they not actually deliver to Ireland? No. No, no, it's uh, it's only in the UK. So they deliver to Northern Ireland, but not to us down in the south. So do you know? Do you know what's uh, quite interesting about Peloton? Sorry, um, we got a, a, a home exercise bike delivered here. I think I mentioned it during the year. It's made yeah. by an English company called Carol, and um, they now have Peloton software on it, so I can subscribe to Peloton and enjoy Peloton classes through my my home exercise equipment here. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. They're going cross-platform. <laughs> yep. So before we move on then to, I think, what is the best part of this podcast, when Emmett and Rory will make their predictions for 2021, let's take a quick look at what's going on in my Wall Street over the festive period. Our analysts might be taking a Christmas break, but that doesn't mean there's not lots of great things going on in my Wall Street. Over the last week of December, we'll be publishing a series of daily insights from our investing team that will focus on some of the biggest stories from 2021. This will include things like the rapid rise of SPACs, as we've already talked about, the internet and free speech, our updated thoughts on Beyond Meat and plenty more. So make sure to log in and check that out. Don't forget that December's Stock of the Month write-up and Stock of the Month podcast, as well as a new stock edition for December, are also live in my Wall Street right now. If you're looking for more great stuff to listen to over the next few days, make sure to check out our new guest series with our friends over at NOAA as well. In this series, we'll take a look at how amateur retail investors came to the fore during the market crash back in March and made some of the biggest money on risky bets. Remember, NOAA, spelled N-O-A, offers professionally read versions of articles from the Financial Times, Bloomberg, The Economist, Harvard Business Review, and a load more of top publishers. So you can go in and check out that latest series live in NOAA right now. So guys, on to our predictions for 2021. So I'm going to go through our predictions for last year first. We've mentioned them a few times over the over the year, but I think it'll be good to revisit them and see exactly what we predicted. So Emmett, I'm going to come to you first. Last year, you said that we were going to see the Amazon effect cut some very big retail brands out of existence in the coming year, specifically the likes of Macy's and Pier 1. I think you pretty much nailed that. Yeah, well, so home goods retailer Pier 1 filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy in february middle of february and in may uh the company said it would shut down its business after failing to failing to find a buyer so um you know i don't celebrate that call i don't take any joy in the fact that i was right nor was i right that it was amazon amazon it wasn't exactly amazon's fault but they certainly didn't help um so i yeah so that was an accurate call um and yeah, unfortunately, these businesses, they, they, they're kind of central to communities. They, they create employment and they create vibrancy and there's somewhere to go. And, and unfortunately, so many of them, as I said earlier, have kind of um, left our streetscape. So yeah, I call it. Yeah, absolutely. Rory, you predicted that Beyond Meat's share price would be cut in half again or reach a bottom this year, thanks to increased competition from the larger companies like Tyson and Kellogg. We're recording this ahead of time, but Beyond Share Price is currently up just over 80% a year to date. So I think barring something absolutely catastrophic happening in the next few days, you might have to take the L here. What do you think? Um, yeah, look, the opposite happened. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, the opposite happened. It went it went right back up to where I had originally wrote the, the first note saying that it was going to be cut in half. It wasn't smooth sailing, though. I think it's like in fairness, we should point that out. It did dip for a while and like, you know, again, this is one of those things where like the look beyond business and I just don't see where they, 
belong in that kind of category of size businesses and, and yeah. you can see you know there is constant kind of feedback that sales are slowing growth is slowing but look don't listen to what i have to say because <laughs> i was so wrong last time you know i really haven't got a leg to stand on here when it comes to uh, to predicting what's going to happen with that stock in fairness i think you're both one for one now because the year before emmett i think you predicted that vr was going to it was going to be i think 2019 was going to be the year of vr rory what was your prediction for the year before can you remember um, I think it was the Amazon's advertising business was going to come much yeah. bigger. So I'd, I'd say you're you're one all. So this makes makes this uh, this year's prediction a make or break. So let's have it, guys. What are your big predictions for 2021? With the disclaimer that you should absolutely absolutely not base any investment decisions <laughs> on these predictions. Uh, Emmett, I'll come to you first. What's your prediction? Yeah. Well, so. As we heard, I kind of this time one year ago predicted that Amazon or Macy's and Pier One specifically would shutter. So I'm going to stick with one of those two brands and I'm going to play with our listeners' minds here. I'm going to toy with their emotions because I'm going to predict <laughs> that in the year ahead or in the 12 months that lie ahead, Macy's stock will be a two bagger, it will double in value in the year 2021. So, um, yeah, and I'm going to explain why I think Macy's is now kind of hit or recently hit the floor. So if we just look at how the bit like the business had, as we've discussed, the most horrendous headwind imaginable for retail, it's currently a three point two billion dollar business. Um, it is not profitable and hasn't been uh this year but um well actually it was in q1 but that was before the, the virus kicked in but in the last two quarters or in q3 and q4 it beat analyst expectations uh yeah. by a pretty nice margin and for q1 2021 which reports in the middle of february and covers the kind of christmas and holiday season the anticipation from analysts is, is it will break even now it's trending up and i think it's going to cut a profit in Q1 because we have all seen that patient number one in the US in the week just gone by had their coronavirus vaccine. The entire of America or anyone in America who wants a vaccine is going to get it in a matter of weeks and months. And I think that consumer confidence will be restored. I think uh, the domestic captivity that most of us have been subject to will be uh, released and we'll all head out again. And I think one of the first places that people are going to go is back to department stores because they're less crowded. We're less on top of each other than in restaurants and gigs and pubs and hotels. You can kind of go in, you can do some shopping, keep your distance and interact with other human beings, which I think we all crave. So, um, and then just to kind of look at Macy's, uh, during the summer, it landed a $4.5 billion finance package. Now, as I mentioned, its current market cap is like $3.2 billion. So that's a war chest. That's an incredible war chest. So the reason I think that Macy's is going to double from today's level is that the world is waiting to get out there again. It has survived, I guess, the perfect storm for retailers and, um, and it's trending up. And I just think that that trend is going to continue. And I think it's possibly going to catapult when they do their Q1 or Q2 um earnings per share report cool that's a ballsy one but i like it i like it uh rory what's your big prediction for 2021 okay so i'm gonna rather than go for like a kind of broad one that i wouldn't get caught on i'm gonna stick my neck out a little again (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm going to start with firing some facts at you, which is that on October 23rd, Netflix released The Queen's Gambit. Yep. Uh, and this, these are kind of old uh, facts now. These are from back at the start of December, so I'm sure they're even better than they are than they were back then. But at that point, 62 million households had watched the show. This is back to the start of December. Inquiries for chess sets had gone up 250% on eBay. Google search queries for how to play chess hit an all-time high. Uh, the original novel, The Queen's Gambit, which was uh, published 37 years ago, became a New York Times bestseller. And the number of new players on chess.com uh, went up fivefold. Wow. So those facts lead me to believe that distribution is very important. And therefore, I think 2021 could be a really great year for Spotify. Spotify. Um, because I think Spotify are now in a position where they are going to be able to leverage their distribution into becoming a much bigger player in the space. They're going, they're moving into the podcast space very strongly, which is going to give them a whole new side of the business that they haven't even explored yet. And I think they are going, I think more and more the music industry is realizing that Spotify is a beast that they have allowed to grow too big and is going to try and swallow them whole. Okay. So give me your one line. What's your one line prediction? Uh, Spotify stock will increase. I don't know if I'm going to say double because it's already had such a good year. I'll say it'd be up more than 50%. Okay. Wow, I like that. It's probably all the listeners are getting for the Stock Club podcast is really helpful. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> so we'll revisit those predictions probably probably around June, maybe the halfway point of the year and see how you guys are getting on unfortunately that's it from this week and this year's stock club don't forget about all the great new stuff in the my wall street app at the minute if there's anything you want us to discuss or explain on the next episode make sure to get in touch you can find us on twitter as always that's at my wall street hq or email us at pod at mywallstreet.com. That's P-O-D at mywallstreet.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Stock Club too. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review for us on whatever platform you listen to us on. It really helps us out. That's it from us here this year. We'll be back in early January. So until then, have a peaceful and safe holiday and happy investing. This episode of Stock Club is brought to you by Hyundai. Restart your journey towards a greener world with Hyundai's next generation of zero emission cars. Find out more about their range of electric vehicles and the savings they can bring to your company and employees at Hyundai.ie. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.